Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We're live streaming from Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. If this is your first time to join us, welcome. Fresh Art International began as a roving audio podcast. And in October 2016, we launched this Art Talk radio show. And I'm thrilled to bring you programs featuring the work of contemporary culture producers here and abroad. These days, our home base is Miami. And one of the biggest challenges to life in this tropical paradise is rising sea level. We face it every day. The experience of king tides, flooding from a short rain, eroding beaches, and more. Have you ever wondered how artists in South Florida are reacting and responding to climate change? Well, we're going to find out today. On Fresh Art International, we've shared conversations in the past that we recorded with Stephen Vitiello, Rachel Armstrong, artists participating in the Rauschenberg Residency Program on the island of Captiva on Florida's west coast. And we've introduced you to artists in the residence in the Everglades and at the Deering Estate, both an hour's drive from here, all concerned with the past, present, and future of our waterways. So now you're about to hear how the sea inspires the work of today's studio guests. Welcome, Natalia Zulaga from the Art Center South Florida. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me. And Ombreta Agro. Thank you, Kathy. Excited to be here. Yes, Ombreta is here with three other people. Hello. Hello. There they are, coming to us to talk about Art Sale, an artist residency that explores Miami's waterways. And we'll also be sharing a couple of field recordings with previous Art Sale residents, Blanca de la Torre and Mark Lee Coven. To set the mood for today's show... I asked T. Wheeler Castillo and Emily Milgram of Archival Feedback to share a short excerpt from Storm Track. Storms are always on our mind, and last fall, as Hurricane Irma was approaching, they recorded in the seconds before the environment changed here, before that hurricane made landfall in South Florida. That was an excerpt from Archival Feedback's Storm Track, a set of sounds that peer into the moments before Hurricane Irma came through Florida. Now, about that rising water, I have in the studio today Art Center South Florida's Artistic Director, Natalia Zulaga, to talk about the center's initiatives that engage with this coastal environment that concerns us so much. Natalia studied at FIU and Bard, and she's worked with the Cisnero Foundation and the Judd Foundation before coming to the Art Center. She plays a pivotal role in the residency program and the exhibitions and programming. They're based on Miami Beach. That's their home. And the city of Miami Beach has been attempting to be very proactive about all this water we have to deal with. And they've spent over... $50 million to raise roads and install pumps. We watch the construction all the time around where we live. I live on the beach. They're also very aware how all this water and the question of water impacts the social, economic, and cultural life. And they're creating this resiliency plan to incorporate the voices of many people that are involved. And one of them is the artist. <laughs> so tell me what came of that in terms of a new residency that Art Center is launching. 
So the new residency is called Art in Public Life, and the idea behind it was precisely that. Our home base is in Miami Beach, and the idea of rising water isn't just something that's in the future as a fear. It's actually a reality that many of us live and work in. So the idea behind this was if a resiliency plan was being built, a plan that thought about the city's social economic fabrics, artists should be at that table to also speak about that, not just its impacts in the cultural field, but that perhaps there were answers from the creative side, from the cultural side that could inform that process. So we developed with the city of Miami Beach a one-year residency for an artist or a collective to be embedded in city government. That means they would be working alongside all of their counterparts in the resiliency office as they think about these strategic toolkits, right, about the future and about rising tides. The deadline for this application would be January 22nd, and we're really looking forward to seeing what people apply with and what their ideas are for this program. I'd love to share with our listeners, who are you looking for? What kind of resident do you want? What what kind of artist are you hoping will come to the call? You know, that's really interesting. We learned so much from the Art Sale Project when we ran this program. You know, the idea of climate change and rising water has been part of our programming for some time. And we realized actually through that process there's a variety of kind like of cultural practitioners. You have research-based artists, you have actual makers, you have people who work with communities, you have people who do all of those three things. So it's not that we're looking at one specific kind of artist, but we're looking at somebody who wants to work with the community, with the challenge at hand, who can work with government, who sees this as an opportunity, like I said, to have a voice at the table and not just a voice from the outside. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot, actually, when about who we were looking for when we receive these proposals. I think it's important since our listeners are international. This is an online station broadcasting around the world. Who is eligible? Because there might be some people listening. Our climate change issues are not just in Miami issues. They're global. So there may be people with expertise and ideas that live halfway around this world. So the call is technically open to everybody, but because it is a one-year program and it has a stipend, a payment, and a living condition, we really are looking with people who we can actually legally have here for a year-long process, right? That being said, like you just said, the issue of climate change isn't just something that's here. It's also something that we learned through the Art Sale Program was just that these were questions, the relationship with water and the relationship with changing climate is something that many of us are dealing with. We'd love for this to come from a Miami artist, actually, to you know, to be here for a year working on these issues. So we'll, like I said, we'll actually see what we get, right? Okay, you've you've said what's offered. We know the deadline is the twenty second of January, yeah. and the website. Maybe we give the URL where they can find the opportunity. You can find everything on artcentersf.org, which is our um, institutional website. The call does end on the 22nd. We would let the recipient know by early February and the residency starts as soon as April. Um, so it's really right around the corner. Listeners, yeah, you need to be ready. <laughs> exactly. Take full advantage. Yeah. Speaking of your role as a curator at Art Center, you also are organizing an exhibition that imagines Miami, we are a global portal, and we are an intertidal yeah. community now, but what would it look like in the future if Miami's future is intertidal. Yeah, so we're opening an exhibition just a couple of days from now on the 20th of January, and it's called Intertidal. It's actually a solo project by a collaborative called AST, the Alliance of the Southern Triangle. And the title itself, actually, Kathy, comes from this book that's written by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's a climate fiction novel called New York 2140. And it imagines New York basically dealing with the changes or the effects of a 50-foot sea level rise. The intertidal is a zone that basically at high tide is flooded and at low tide it's not. And so it, this exhibition or these artists have really kind of thought about Miami as that being basically its next stage. What does that feel like? What does that look like? What does it mean for our economy, for our communities, 
her culture. And so they've basically redone the entire gallery at Art Center South Florida. It's a collaborative of architects, curators, and artists. So what you're going to go see there is a combination of videos. It's a large mural wall drawing. It's a script that they've written. And they've worked at this idea of sea level rise and climate change. It's part of their kind of core practice. They are what I would consider applied research artists. They go and they research like crazy. And then what comes out of it, you know, is highly artistic. It's legible as art, but you can tell that a lot of work and a lot of depth has come into it. So that's what I've been working on very intensely. That sounds like an immersive experience, that I, exhibition. Yeah, that's what we're hoping it will be. Absolutely. And that will run through April 8th. April. So yeah. there is time to, yeah. for you to experience that if you're listening. And this idea of artists, curators, and architects, the whole idea of hybrid practice comes into play when you're working as a collective. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what what that looks like. Thanks. And actually on the 20th at 12 noon, I'll be having a conversation with the artists, which is Patricia Margarita Hernandez, Elite Kagan, Felice Grodin, and Diane Bauer. Um, we'll be at the Art Center chatting before the opening. And so this is actually a really good opportunity to see how these diverse fields come together for an exhibition in this way. So join us. So video, audio, wall drawings, and other sorts of installations that Fill every corner of the space, from what I read. Yeah, in one way or another, the changes, the ch- the space is different. Yes. Well, this is exciting. So, those are two initiatives of Art Center, <laughs> and another very important one that we're here to talk about in real depth. We're diving in to Art Sale, which is a new residency, relatively new. I would say that the new residency, Art and Public Life. And Art Sale were both initiated through funding by the Knight Foundation. And I would say now for myself, I can point out that I just received a Knight Foundation Challenge Grant for my own work here with the radio show. And I'm so thrilled that it's been recognized the importance of what we're doing to bring these conversations to the fore in our community and far beyond. And the radio is such a great opportunity to stretch it way past Miami, and I'm thrilled for that. So Art Sale launched in fall 2016, Umbretta. Thanks, Kathy. So Art Sale received the grant, as you mentioned, in 2015. Our first resident, Mark Likoven, came to Miami in December 2016. Before we talk about Mark, let's talk about what sparked the relationship why Art Center, Art Sale combination? How did you guys come together? Sure. So I moved to Miami in 2012, and I was always very passionate about the ocean. Any activity I could do, whether it was above water, underwater, would uh, make me happy and excited. And when I came to Miami, I realized not only how beautiful our shores are, but also how delicate and how fragile the ecosystem that we're living within and how much has been threatened by issues connected to climate change. And I thought how interested it could be to have the opportunity to give cultural producers at large, so not just visual artists, to come to Miami and really get to know the city from the view of the ocean. So from that point of view, from the view of the water. I approached the Art Center. I knew they were uh, always very engaged, not just with the local community, but also with the international communities. And they were very engaged with residency programs, and I thought they could be interested in uh, working with me to develop this kind of initiative. And that luckily happened. So we started a conversation, actually with Natalia's predecessor, um, who was the artistic director back then, Susan Caraballo. And we developed these ideas of uh, connecting cultural producers with scientists to spend time in Miami four to six weeks both on land and on water. So one of uh, uh, my goals is to find partners, vessels that we can work with, and we'll hear more about that today. Yeah, so as far as Art Center goes, obviously you said Art Center's been involved in these issues for some time. Yeah, for us, actually, the opportunity was really important because something that we're quite dedicated to is providing people the space and the resources, right? So for us, this idea that people could come and engage with our waterways, something that 
I think there isn't a person in this community that isn't touched or doesn't have a relationship to water. And then we could figure out ways to both find commonalities with artists and practitioners, both here and abroad, with our scientists here. That was actually the perfect moment, the perfect time to do that. And we had actually, you know, the resources and the moment to be able to offer those things. Um, this wasn't a residency where people popped in for two or three days. They actually came. They spent time four to six weeks. They came back. They produced projects. And so this was really a way of immersing themselves in what we thought was actually a really important issue, like Umbretta said. And you have a very significant partner in all this, the Science Museum. Indeed. Uh, we, as I mentioned, a big part of what we're doing is really to connect the cultural side with the scientific counterpart. And so what we did, we reached out to the uh, Philip and Patricia Frost Museum of Science, which actually wasn't even open back then, <laughs> and asked them if they would be interested to collaborate with us. And luckily they accepted. And so what we're doing based on the type of program and interest of the resident, we either connect them to marine biologists or climatologists that are working within the Frost Museum, or we ask them to help us outsource the right kind of scientists that could work and collaborate with our resident. Um, and so far, it's been a great collaboration. They've been um, very helpful and uh, very open. The facility in the meantime opened, and it's a wonderful a museum directly behind the Perez Museum. So there is a lot of activities at Museum Plaza, Museum Park. And really, we couldn't be happier. And then that relationship started to grow, and we actually started connecting with other scientific partners, such as the uh, Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science. That's part of uh, FIU. And they have a great project called Rescue Reef, which talks about and really tackles the issues about coral bleaching and coral restoration. So that part is also very much growing. And I think there's another partner that became a partner in the, one of the last residencies with Blanca de la Torre was the uh, Institute of Contemporary Art. Their special research and education programs well, we were uh, very lucky because certainly we, we couldn't coordinate this better. Uh, when Blanca was here in the summer 2017, ICA organized a workshop that was addressing issues of art and ecology and how the two interact and overlap. And Blanca and myself attended, along with about 15 others, artists and activists, and most of them based in Miami, but not only. And I'm so happy to see that out of that workshop, which was very intense, two weeks we started a, created a group called Agua Action, which is really addressing issues connected to climate change, uh, recycling. Uh, we're actually doing a couple of activities in collaboration with the Pinecrest Gardens that are coming up on January 21st and 26th. So we don't know where that's leading us, but we're certainly very excited. And Blanca, even though now obviously she's back in Europe, is also very engaged with this. So we're keeping in touch with her. Very cool. You know, I think it's something that all of these programs, the residency and everything point to is these particular opportunities. I feel like Miami in the past, you know, five years or so, all of these little kind of pockets of like research programs, discursive events, residencies really do give the opportunity for projects like this to emerge in a way that Miami really needs it, right? It kind of keeps us connected. It keeps the conversation going over a long period of time. So this has been one of the biggest pleasures to kind of look at those kinds of impactful results from this program. I agree. And that's how I end up having so many people on my show <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, because I love to forefront those connections, the openness, the transparency, and the sharing that exists among the institutions. We all want to do well and have a good audience. We all want to help each other. And it seems like it's happening more and more. Every year, I feel more of a perfect storm of artistic and creative energy addressing important issues. So speaking of that, I think we should hear from the first art sale resident who is not here with us this moment. It's Mark Lee Coven, an artist working in digital media and at the intersection of art and science based in Utah, but who spent a ton of time in South Florida throughout his life so far. And he is particularly interested in producing a piece that you'll hear about now that will be for a public experience. 
in Miami. So let's listen to Mark. I was their first art sale resident. Yeah. started this past year. You're about to take a trip on your third boat. Correct. So the first two trips were down into the Keys, various reefs that I've been diving on. And the project, it's collecting video and stills as well as anecdotes from long-term and short-term residents in the South Florida and the Keys area. And what I'm looking for is to show both the before and after in terms of stories, in terms of people's perceptions and beliefs. The filming is not just underwater, but it's also the coastal areas, it's mangrove areas, it's also suburban and urban areas, because we're trying to encapsulate not just the water, but also the entire community involved. We have a, a very expensive drone that we use to uh, film this as well. So we do low-level flights, high-level flights, and we also do underwater and on surface. The footage as well as the stories will be available to the public in the near future, and it'll be shown in picture a large 30-foot in diameter igloo-type structure that is a, a basically a projection dome. And so you, you walk inside and you'll see a 360-degree image from what I'm shooting and what I'm collecting. And have you shown your work in that environment before? Yes, once before. We did a pilot program in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the dome project is basically what I'm looking to do, create a model that can then be duplicated from city to city. So I'm working with both physicists and social scientists who deal with weather conditions or extreme conditions based upon climate change. What we're looking for is to see the beliefs and perceptions, measure those. So we're actually collecting information and data from these exhibitions using art as a data collection device, as well as an educational component. And so what we're doing is we're using local images so, for instance, in Albuquerque, what we had was we would have people fill sandbags and then build a communal structure. In this case, it was a wall inside the dome while they're watching the images on in the inside of the dome. And so we're... Go what do you picture happening here? <laughs> here it's going to be based on water because most people don't realize how delicate Miami is, even though it's surrounded by water, that actually makes it more susceptible to not just sea levels, but also the seepage of salt water and intrusion into their drinking supply. Right, but I mean, I'm thinking sandbagging is probably a good exercise considering <laughs> that's what they do when, uh, when they know that a flood's coming. They sandbag all around the doorways. Right, well, sandbagging in Albuquerque made sense because they have flash floods. Here, um, it would be a, at best a very short-term solution. So um, here it's going to actually be about looking and seeing what's going to happen over the next 30 to 50 years in terms of sea level rise and potable water. So I'm envisioning that they're going to be actually purifying water and moving it indoors and inside the dome and then using that as a communal water source to drink from. And at the same time, it gives the people an understanding of how maybe it's not so easy to purify water if they have to do it by hand. That's one component of the dome project. I also want to make sure the project has a before and after effect, not just in the public view of the environment and extreme weather conditions, but also getting the community involved. So one of the things that I'm looking to do is create a community resilience programs or community resilience plans. And so I'm hoping that city planners will be involved in this, that we can actually get the many mayors of South Florida involved, so that we can actually get ahead of the ball instead of being behind it, behind the eight ball, so to speak, and creating community resilience to what's inevitable. I mean, this is, it's not something that's, that we're just thinking about. It's, it's going to happen. It's happening. No doubt. Good morning. This is Kathy Bird, and you are listening to Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio in Miami. I am thrilled to have just shared with you a conversation I recorded with Mark Lee Coven on a catamaran in Biscayne Bay last summer. And I'm very happy today to introduce another captain of a catamaran that is very involved in art sale. That's Captain William Ray of the boat The Impossible Dream. Good Welcome. morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm really happy to have you here, William. Happy to be here. Uh, your boat, you have a catamaran that's specially designed. I've been very lucky to have been on it once and bumped my head several times, and there's a reason for that. Tell me about the design and the mission of Impossible Dream. 
Well, the impossible dream is a catamaran that was the brainchild of a gentleman named Mike Brown, and he was injured in a skiing accident. So he was a very vital guy. He sold, he owns a retail company that sells skiing equipment in England. And he got into sailing and he was, became paralyzed, fell off a cliff and decided he wanted to go sailing. So he had this boat designed and built from the ground up to accommodate him to be fully wheelchair accessible. So we have hydraulic lifts in the hulls to get down below. We have hydraulic lifts outside to get on and off the boat. And it's virtually seamless or as close as you can get to, I think, uh, for a boat, for someone in a wheelchair to be able to enjoy boating. It's designed that he could sail the boat, hoist the sails, adjust the sails, steer the boat. It's a large boat to be done by one person, but it can be done by one person. That was the genesis of the boat. We acquired the boat four years ago. He had owned it for 12 years, did all his sailing, and he was moving on, and uh, it came up for sale. And so our founder, Deborah Mellon, went over there to England with Harry Horgan from Shake Lake, Miami, and they took a look at the boat, and they talked to Mike Brown. He liked their ideas for the boat. They struck a deal. We brought the boat back here to Miami, and now we're here in Miami with the boat. And uh, our mission is twofold, really, design to show what can be accomplished through design. Uh, this boat is incredibly beautiful. It is so well thought out. The architect who designed it is named Nick Bailey, and he's famous for doing the cars on the London Eye, if you're familiar with that Ferris wheel in London. And so he designed this boat, and really I think it's like an example, a beautiful example of design and and what it can accomplish for everyone. It's inclusive, right? So a feature that enables uh, someone in a wheelchair to go completely around the boat without going over any steps is also makes it very comfortable for just someone to walk around the boat, right? So that's the one of the main concepts behind what we do. And second fold is to use the boat, the resource of the ocean, and being on the water as a way to um, give therapy to people with disabilities, to take them out sailing with their families, and they're able to go with community so they have other people in wheelchairs. They don't feel awkward because they're the only person in a wheelchair on the boat. That could be, you know, six, seven, eight people. And they get to talk to each other and enjoy the ocean, which, you know, research has shown that it has a healing effect. People feel better when they're by the water. I mean, there's a reason everybody wants to live in a condo on, on Miami Beach and, you know, and be able to walk down to the beach every morning. The water has a very powerful effect on us, a very powerful pull. That goes down, you know, if you go into evolutionary theory, how we came from the ocean. Well, I think it's interesting. I'd love to know how Umbretta came to connect with you for Art Sale, which is a perfect vessel to be one of those on which art would unfold. Sure. I met Apton Ray, actually, through uh, Susan Caraballo from the Art Center. We started going out on a previous boat that uh, Captain Ray was working on and started talking really together about this idea of some kind of residency for artists in Miami on the boat. And that boat eventually was sold. But luckily, the impossible dream came into play. And interestingly enough, I had actually met the owner, Deborah Mellon, in New York through a completely different circle. We reconnected. And when I mentioned to her about what we were doing with Art Sale and asked her about the possibility of working with us for the residencies, uh, she immediately jumped on the, on the opportunity. And that's why we were able to work when Mark uh, Lee Coven came in December with them. So let's tell our listeners, where did you take Mark? What did he discover on your boat? Well, Mark had a very specific vision of what he wanted to capture. So... We were getting up early every morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and hustling all day. We got footage of Turkey Point, really amazing footage at sunset. And uh, we got very close to Turkey Point. It was interesting because I was expecting, you know, people to come out with guns and say, what the heck are you guys doing here? But we were able to get a really amazing shot there. And then we went out to the reefs, and he had, you know, he wanted shots of the reef. He wanted shots of a sunken ship. He wanted mangroves. And so we went through the Keys crossing items off the list as we went. And uh, really, it's also, you know, the, the collaborative effort of being on a boat. You're in a small community. 
So it's it's really uh, I enjoyed the ex- experience a great deal. That's cool. And we heard on his little conversation that we shared all the technology that he brought with him: drone cameras, underwater cameras, and all sorts of recording equipment. He pulled it all out for you, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He had all the gear. He had the fancy underwater housing and the fancy camera and the drone. And, you know, Mark's a very technical guy. His art is very technical and utilizes technology to to the utmost. And uh, he was definitely in full force on, on the trip. Very cool. Well, we're going to be talking about another first now that is... A first of uh, Blanca de la Torre, you heard her uh, mentioned earlier in the show. She I met and recorded with at Anchor on Biscayne Bay as well, just after she arrived in Miami. And she was so excited about the opportunity that she had to be here with Art Sale. And once we hear her voice, we're going to talk about what happened after she began her residency. Especially in terms of a sea level rise, this is the first time that I'm going to see personally the coral bleaching. So um, I'm going to be snorkeling. We're going to meet uh, someone from the Frost Museum who's starting to work in coral restoration. So that's also going to be very new and exciting for me. And what will come of the site visits? What will you make mm, of it? Usually what I make exhibitions. I mean, I'm, I'm a curator. I also write in this case, I could also make an exhibition and a book. I still want to also research on the art community of Miami. I want to make studio visits and meet artists who are working in issues related with environmentalism. You've done other residencies, of mm-hmm. course. How does this one stand out for you in terms of how it's organized and what it offers you as a curator and researcher? I've been basically researching things related to communities, maybe indigenous communities sometimes. And on this occasion, it's more specific only about environmentalism, so that's that's very special. And the fact that the residency allows you to be on a boat and see directly all those problematics is, is of course, very, very special. Fortunately, Umbreta did a great research and she's setting up a lot of like interviews and meetings and she's uh, helping me out a lot with all this research. So that was Blanca de la Torre talking in the first moments of her arrival in Miami with great hope for what would happen. Art sale curator Umbreta Agro is here in the studio with us today as you've been hearing her voice. And she was involved with others in selecting the residents that have been coming. And Blanca is an exception so far in that she's the first curator to be invited. And she's an art critic born in Spain who came to Miami for her first experience here. And her interest is eco-aesthetics. And I'm wondering, Umbretta, what made her a good match for art sale? Blanca has really dedicated her entire curatorial practice to investigate how artists are addressing issues connected to environmental challenges uh, that are affecting not just the environment, but also the community that is living and working in specific areas. And um, about how artists can really address these issues and make them more accessible. Um, You know, she's a believer that uh, scientific data is great and, and useful, but that often you need the artist to make that data accessible for a larger community. And that's really what we're trying to achieve with ArtSale. And as I mentioned earlier, we really thought of opening up the submission process, not to just visual artists, but to cultural producers at large. So for us, it was really important to have a visual artist, but also someone like Blanca, who's a writer, a theorist, a curator, and is looking at these issues from a slightly different angle. And so that, it was great that she applied, and um, we had about almost 200 applications from all over the world. So it was a very tough process of selecting the, uh, the residents, but we were overwhelmed by the quality of, of what we received, as Natalia mentioned earlier. Yes, and to facilitate their work here in Miami, you had this idea of having what you're calling the art sales Sherpa, which, you know, some people go, Sherpa, that's a mountain guide. But why a Sherpa? And 
We have the Sherpa in the studio. Thank you for joining us, Gustavo Oviedo. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so cool. Well, let's find out why she chose you first. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, um, I knew that uh, someone like Mark, for example, had lived here in Miami, and so he was very familiar with the environment and what Miami is about. Uh, that is not the case for someone like Blanca. And so I thought it was really important to have someone who could help us to guide her through the process and, and uh, help her to identify certain areas and certain locations in the water, around the water, on the coast, and really help her familiarize and understand what are these different issues. Miami is a very complex place. And Gustavo uh, was a perfect uh, choice for this. He's been an artist and activist uh, working with the marine waterways surrounding Miami for many, many years. He knows intimately all these different areas and all the issues that are affecting them. And so I approached him about the idea of helping us and uh, to use his uh, knowledge and his skill set and also his boat. We actually use this boat often when Blanca was here to go and explore these different areas. And so we together created a different set of itineraries over the month and a half that Blanca was here. So, Gustavo, I saw we actually featured online a photo of her in a kayak. That was one of the boats. And I, where did you take her? Uh, we took her in a few different trips. The first trip, we went around the Biscayne Bay, close to Miami Beach, and we went to Isla de Lolando, where uh, it's an old island that was never finished, uh, artificial islands from the 1920s. And uh, the cement poles that that were unfinished are still there and grew a lot of coral. So that was the first experience to show her in the middle of the city. There's soft corals, but there was still somewhere where the nature could thrive. And then um, that's one of the trips. Then another trip, we went to um, a sandbar by um, close to Kibiskane, where close by there's, there's this wreck that has all these corals and life. And even though there's all the trash from the sandbar that through the currents gets stuck in this wreck, there's a whole bunch of life that still lives surrounded by trash. And it just is interesting to see. When I met you last year, you were talking to me about seven years of experience working along the coast. And I was asking Gustavo, how about taking me out sometime? Oh, I just like to go out by myself. <laughs> He's always taking people out. Yeah. But to really explore and get to know the coast, you like to go on your own. Yeah, going on my own is, is easier at this point because now I've I've grown to that side of things where I like just to concentrate. In, in, but I like also taking out people. It just depends on the situation of the day. You photograph and film every time you... You're out oh, there. Yeah, I'm, I, I love documenting, and, and it goes be, beyond the, the boat experience. But with the boat experience, it gave me a way to um, learn through my documentation and revisit and organize all the ideas. I've been documenting from here to Dry Tortugas for the past seven years, and it's been a lot of fun. I think it's pretty awesome that you're part of this. I, I really I, I love it. I agree, too. I, I feel very lucky to have been invited to be participating in this Biombrera and the Art Center and everybody involved. Yeah. And also meeting every, the artists from uh, from Europe, and like Simon and Blanca, and, and, and it's been a great experience in general. Right. You and Captain Will. I mean, just incredible local resources to bring a whole new experience to an artist of of the region. I think it's exceptional. What do you think will happen with Blanca's research? The things he showed her, what will happen? Do you know? So Blanca was here for um, about a month and a half, and it was a great discovery process for her. I think that what she was mostly fascinated with was coral and the issues of coral bleaching and coral restoration and how you can actually restore entire coral reefs. And so what we've been talking about is to create a publication that will essentially collect all the knowledge that she was able to retrieve while she was here, all the research that we did together, a lot of based also on the material that Gustavo provided, and be able to share her findings, essentially, with communities at large. And she also did a lot of studio visits, as she mentioned she wanted to do, and uh, she's constantly curating exhibitions, so I wouldn't be surprised if some of our Miami-based artists may end up in some of her exhibitions, which would be wonderful, obviously. 
That's awesome. Well, now for the finale, the piece de résistance, we have our newest resident coming into the studio with us, having just arrived from points far away. I think you told me you flew from Berlin? From Berlin, yeah. Yesterday. This is Simon Faithful, and he has just landed, and welcome to Miami. Thank you. Great to be here. You've already had a 10-day site visit to get your feet on the ground, feet wet maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> here in Miami. And I guess I'll give a little background about Simon, born in England, based in Berlin. I've seen described your work as an attempt to understand and explore the planet as a sculptural object, testing its limits by getting involved with uh, scientists, technicians, and transmission experts to help you realize some Kind of uncanny projects that I saw you walking on the bottom of the sea, for example. Yeah, wondering that was... how that, how many weights you had to have to <laughs> to manage that. Yeah, I mean that was that, that was a few years ago. Um, that was in a way trying to realize a, um, an impossible walk, a walk through a landscape at the bottom of the sea. And yeah, we shifted the weights that you would normally have around your 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 waist. I, I sewed Velcro straps to have them on my ankles. And then I had a little half tank of air on my chest and I took the strap off the goggles and had fishing line and a big white shirt that covered all of that. So yeah, seen crazy. from the back, it, it appears to be a man walking through a landscape, a little bit like from a dream, I guess, something that you can't actually do. But rather than using special effects to it sort of often with my work, it, it it's about me sort of reporting back from the extremes of the planet. So what attracted you to this opportunity in Miami? I sort of become very connected to the sea. And I guess that started when I when I went on a residency with the British Antarctic Survey going to Antarctica. And I hadn't had much to do with the sea before that, but that was two months on an icebreaker going from the Falklands to Antarctica. And it sounds like a really dumb thing to say, but sort of we're used to the land being the important bit. But obviously, when you get out into the middle of the ocean, you become immediately aware that that actually sort of the land is the, the very insignificant little bit. And the majority of this planet is a big planet of water. And sort of sensing, in a way, that that sort of sphere that we're on, when you're in the middle of the ocean, you get that feeling. I also crossed the Atlantic on a container ship for another project. But previously, they've all been very kind of cold Arctic sort of places. And I was really fascinated to see the kind of the tropical equivalent, I guess. So there's the extreme. Yeah, exactly. On Breta, did you, as to Simon, as a person that would get a lot out of this experience? Well, I think one of the ideas was to have a variety of residents, right? And so even within just an artist practice, obviously artists do what they do in very different ways. And so we had Mark Hoven is really a, a scientist artist, is a researcher. He has a very peculiar way and very detailed and analytic way of, of making his artwork. I would say Simon's approach is more visceral and not less touching and when it comes to identifying issues that are connected to what art cell is exploring. And so I think that was something that attracted us. Again, we wish we could have had many more residents. Unfortunately, we were tied to uh, only be able to accommodate three. But also the fact that, as he mentioned, he had the experience in the Arctic, and so the idea of having someone who had had that experience in such an extreme type of condition and then allowing him to come and experience the tropics and kind of see, you know, we, as you said earlier, we're all connected by these issues called climate change, right? And I was just doing research trips in Norway and Iceland and met artists who were working with these very specific topics. So it's just having different angles and different points of view and sort of understand how it all comes together. Absolutely. And I'm wondering, you had your first 10 days here. What was your biggest discovery of a site that you wanted to explore more deeply. Yeah, I I deliberately broke it up into two bits to sort of allow me to see some things and and then think about them. And the one that's really stuck is 
I found these dome homes, which are off Cape Romano, and they were built at the very end of the 70s. And they're sort of like a futuristic sci-fi utopian domes. And they were a, a home that an oil engineer built himself on a sand spit. But they were sort of relatively quickly wrecked. Hurricane Andrew, I think about 12 years later, made land there. So now when we visited, they are these very odd ruins that uh, the whole sand spit has gone and these white domes are stranded in the middle of the ocean. It looks kind of like a strange, something out of a J.G. Ballard book, sort of maybe something looked at from the future, but looking back to something that's now becomes stranded in the ocean. And so kind of poetically, I just found them really fascinating things. That's the main point of me being back is we're going out this week to shoot some more footage that will become a film that mixes different kind of timescales, I guess, because I found some very beautiful old photos from when they were lived in. And the last visit, all six of the domes were, were still standing. But actually, the most recent Hurricane Irma, the landfall was precisely on these dome homes, and two of them have subsequently collapsed. Oh, no. Well... It's what's happening. They're slowly being ruined. But from the purposes of the film, I find that really interesting, that somehow compressed within actually a six-month period, mm. there's been a big sort of geological shift of time. I find them very fascinating from past, future, present. And that idea that we've, we've talked about a little, we had a chance to speak recently for a few minutes about the, the failed utopia yeah. that they represent this idea of thinking of building yeah. a home on the water and not thinking about what might happen. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think that was the thing that immediately fascinated me about them is that they sort of belonged to this moment where it seemed like maybe we were transcending nature. We were, we were going to live on the moon, we were going to live in bubbles underwater, and uh, sort of nature was definitely appreciated, but there was a sense that perhaps... We could sort of be eating food out of the tubes and nature was nice, but we didn't particularly need it. And then so quickly for it to become apparent that these dome homes were badly situated and very prone to the hurricanes and the tide. And it's almost like King Canute on the beach sort of saying, tide, stay where you are, and it doesn't. And I think generally that's how mankind is. We sort of had this moment of hubris where we thought we didn't need nature and then we've discovered that we're com completely enmeshed and embedded and we're part of that system. So for me, those dome homes somehow poetically kind of capture that. And I wanted to share with listeners how they will experience your residency as you go. I know you do drawings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I draw actually use, using my iPhone an app that I made to draw with. That sounds very technical, but actually it's very old-fashioned drawing. It, it sort of make line drawings standing in front of something and try to capture it as a set of lines. But it does allow me to dispatch them as I make them. So they go instantly onto my website, but also via Instagram and Facebook. And What's your Instagram handle so people can follow you? Simon Faithful. Simon Faithful with two uh, L's, yeah. by the way. Yeah, that's true. Simon Faithful. At at Simon Faithful, yeah. At Simon Faithful, okay. And the endpoint, you're creating a video project yourself. There's kind of two sides to my practice. Drawings are constant, but also making video works. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm sort of already editing the footage that we shot back in the summer and we'll be adding to it. It'll be a video work. I'm, I'm guessing around a kind of 12-minute piece. And I think probably I've got a solo show in England coming up early next year. So I think that's probably going to be the first time that I show it. So they'll see us. They'll yeah. be looking at Miami. And I also wanted to add that the Art Centers of Flora is doing an Instagram takeover with Simon's Residency. And we also as Art Cell have our Instagram handle. It's art underscore sale. So please make sure you follow us and uh, see what's up with the Simon. It's going to be very exciting.
Yes, I think this is a perfect timing for this show so people <laughs> can know right now how to follow you. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird, and today we've been talking about climate change with a special attention to the impact of the rising sea on art and culture in Miami. It seems that our creative community is up for the challenge based on the conversations we've had today. And I can't wait to see what happens next with the Art Center South Florida initiatives, the Art in Public Life Residency, an upcoming exhibition that envisions Miami's intertidal future, and the outcome of Art Sale Residencies, exploring the waterways that may they continue for many years, Umbretta. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me in the studio today. Natalia Zuluaga, Umbretta Agro, William Ray, Gustavo Oviedo, and Simon Faithful. Thank, thank you. you for being here. Thank you, thank thank you. Kathy. I have a finale, which is kind of fun, that Gustavo Oviedo shared with me a soundtrack, one of the soundtracks from a trailer of a new documentary he's produced after seven years of work on the waterways. It's a 45-second experience of a 230-mile journey of South Florida's marine landmarks and reduced to a sound score that is super fun. Gustavo wanted me to let you know that his film will be screened on March 9th at Sweat Records in Miami. So here we're off to have a 45-second experience of the coastal waters of Miami. morning. It was great to have you tune into our show on Jolt Radio. We invite you to listen, follow, rate, and review Fresh Art International. You'll find more than 150 listening experiences anywhere you go for podcasts. We're truly honored that the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation just awarded our program a Night Arts Challenge Grant. And you are welcome to help us meet our 2018 match by visiting freshartinternational.com. Click on the support button to contribute. Thank you for joining us. Meet us here every Wednesday morning for Contemporary Art Talk.